We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. All right, folks, welcome to A Vision of Hope, the 11th or 12th episode of Season 1 of Rebels, depending on how you are counting. We are now in the home stretch, and while this is not uh, a direct beginning to the sort of end arc of the season, um, where Kane gets captured and all of that stuff, it is sort of leading towards, you know, the increased danger and, you know, understandable paranoia, um, as represented by, uh, the great Brent Spiner's, uh, uh, traitor, um, uh, Gal Travis character, who the Empire has set up as a, uh, rebel sympathizer, but is actually being employed by the Empire. And while the uh, betrayal is obvious based on just the way Brent Spiner uh, plays the character and, you know, Hera's distrust and so forth, what's interesting about this episode is the vision slash prophecy uh, that Ezra had um, about the senator being in danger. Uh, and things go right according to the prophecy until the end. And in fact, he sees the opposite of what's going on. This speaks to the nature of prophecy, the interesting philosophy behind various types of prophecy, the ways in which, you know, we can't see all ends. We can see very far, you know, if you're powerful enough, but you can't necessarily see all ends. Um, and as happens with people, um, I talk about this, you know, when I tutor kids in, in test taking is that the most common wrong answer in test taking is actually the opposite of the right answer because our brains look for familiarity. And if you don't recognize the right answer, you see the wrong answer. Answer, th- that familiarity kicks in even though it's twisted and backwards. The same could be said about prophecy. And Ezra actually, you know, I- I'm, we'll have to watch the episode. I can't remember if it's just a, if the prophecy is just flawed or whether it's his interpretation that's flawed. But either way, uh, we are slowly building towards the ghost crew almost having to join the rebellion out of necessity because they're just not bad enough people, you know, to, to remain being smugglers in this horrible world and they can't trust anybody. And so just to protect themselves, they have to join the rebellion. Now we know that, uh, for example, Hera is very idealistic and Ezra will get there as well. Kanan and Sabine and Zeb aren't so sure, you know, that it's not anything more than a temporary solution, but we will get there at the end of the season and certainly the beginning of next season. So enjoy the great guest performance by Brent Spiner as Gal Travis. Um, a little bit of teasing of Force Mysticism with the False Prophecy. And uh, certainly a, a big step up from Idiot's Array. No offense to Billy D. Williams of the previous episode. So... Queue up your Blu-rays, DVDs, uh, digital files to zero, zero, zero. And here comes the countdown. Three, two, one go all right folks welcome to a vision of hope as we get down the home stretch of season one here's ezra with his new lightsaber practicing of course they're gonna keep giving him a hard time because that's what zeb and chopper excel at and that is what um uh kanan wants him to do Uh, I can't remember if it's here where he tells him that he specifically wants the distraction. Uh, You know, that's all part of focus and training. Luke has to go through this. Anakin has to go through this. You know, he's 
So he's he, he believes in Travis big time. He has a feeling about this, and then he turns out to have a, a vision or prophecy about this. And that's what's so interesting about Ezra is after, uh, even though, you know, at the beginning of the season, he almost doesn't join the crew, almost steals Kanan's lightsaber and the holocron and so forth. He immediately becomes idealistic, especially now that he's found out about his parents. Now, as I mentioned, I, I'm not thrilled about his parents being the leaders in the rebellion, but it's important that they were, um, you know, re- resisting the empire. Here's the vision, um, which he misinterprets. Uh, but anyways, after Hera, Ezra is the most idealistic one for the most part, and that's why he becomes one of the leaders in addition to his power and leadership skills, becomes one of the leaders of the rebellion. Kanan and Sabine and Zeb have mixed feelings of various levels. Here's the vision playing out, as we will see later. Right, your parents were very brave, but there's a line after that he doesn't hear. And Dune, Dune really, from with Frank Herbert's Dune, really pioneered this, which was, you know, Muad'Dib, who was Paul Atreides, who was supposed to be the Messiah. You know, he keeps consuming more and more spice and going further and further out in his visions. But you know, with the butterfly effect mixed with Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, um, you know, things get more and more confused the farther out you go in space, but also in time. And here, Ezra is reaching almost to the end of this scenario, but not far enough to see. Travis's betrayal because he's tricking himself that Travis is a good guy. It's interesting if he was more neutral about, not distrustful, but just more neutral about Travis, whether he would see the full prophecy. Right. Just because you want something to happen doesn't mean it's going to. Let's have a little bit of coffee here. Right. I mean, they're not wrong to punch him and say, why didn't you see that coming? The difference is the level of importance or import of of them punching him is very low, whereas the Travis thing is very high. It's also on his mind. So I said if he was more neutral about Travis, would he see the full the full vision? But if he wasn't so focused on Travis, you know, and looking to him as like a savior, then he might not have any vision at all. Here it is. It's important to sell that Hera is also into it, right? These are the two I just said, you know, are, are most, like, are already rebels, basically, before they even join the rebellion. Now, Hera at the end says she wanted to believe, too. It's interesting to think when she becomes distrustful. And she'll learn this lesson more than, you know, Ezra, which makes sense, because she's much older, wiser, and been through a lot more. I mean... Just the fact that he can crack the Imperial Code so regularly. Now, here's... Right. Right, exactly. He he encodes messages in the words that he says, but if they can figure it out, why can't anyone figure it out? It's obvious to the locals, go over the Empire's head. Harris still believer. I think it's Kanan. Someone says, like, it's too obvious. Right, the New Freedom Mural. We're at the Old Republic Senate building. Mm -hmm. Now they're all intrigued. It's important that Kanan remains skeptical throughout the series. Yeah, it's too obvious. He's right. He's almost always right. The only thing Kanan's wrong about 
mostly in season two, is that they should leave the rebellion, and he wants to go back on their own. And eventually he gets convinced to stay by Herod and Ezra. But that's all part of his skepticism about not trusting anyone. And, you know, we as the viewers know that we should trust the rebellion, but it's understandable someone like Kanan would, would, would be skeptical and suspicious of everyone, including these so-called rebels. So I think even though the vision seems to align with the message and who Travis claims he is and the perception of who he is, it's interesting to think whether hearing about, learning about the vision as Hera just did, a sort of off screen, is the beginning of being mistrustful. So this is a guy from the training academy. Also, well, that, that episode isn't one of my favorites because it's definitely like a quote-unquote kitty episode. But they do follow up with, you know, him turning. He, you know, he turned some of the cadets, which is something Luke is great at doing as well. Um, as we see in the other, the secondary literature and the video games and so forth. And even in season four, I think he's still in touch with this guy or one of the other cadets. So he has information on Callus. Right. The old Senate building. Yeah, Ezra completely misinterprets this. I totally forgot about this. Ezra thinks, oh my god, Travis is in more danger than I thought from my visions. But really, this kid is telling... I mean, the kid doesn't know. But the information coming from this kid to Ezra that Ezra should be putting together is... Callus is preparing on setting a trap for you at this place that you think you are saving the the senator. The other thing is, you know, this late in the Empire, uh, or I should say this close to the Death Star, 4BBY or whatever it is, most of the senators have chosen sides. So part of the reason they also need the rebellion and people like Mon Mothma is you'd think Mon Mothma or Fulcrum or someone would see through... Travis's bullshit because you think most of the senators have joined sides. One of the inconsistencies between this and Rogue One and then uh, the original trilogy. I mean, Rogue One is supposedly the turning point for Mon Mothma, where she goes from, yes, we're rebels, but we have to be careful, you know, and not too militant, to embracing a modified version of Sagarera's vision in, you know, all out war against the Empire. Um, because of the inspiration of Rogue One and the, the Mon Cal's uh, with Admiral Radis and so forth. And while it's not clear why Mon Mothma or how Mon Mothma wants to be a rebel but not fight the Empire directly, and we're seeing this in the Podammer and comics as well, where they see the First Order as enemies but they're not willing to actually attack them, even though they expect to be attacked. It makes zero sense. But. It all comes together when Mon Mothma and a giant hologram of Sagarera in season four, this isn't really spoiling anything, hash out their ideological argument. And at some point, me and Simi are going to do a Sagarera episode because I, you know, it's a fine line between being a terrorist and a freedom fighter. And while Saw is sloppy and at least to the death of his sister and lots of problems in the Clone Wars... And he's kind of gone crazy by the end of his life with Jin. He puts Jin through horrible things before, you know, in leading up to Rogue One. Ultimately, he recognizes that they need to go on the offensive immediately in any way possible against against the Empire. And, you know, it, it's captured by Jin quoting Sagarera 
in her pump up speech to the full Rogue One crew, not just the lead six, but like the dozens who follow her as the the um, beachhead of the mission, which had saw you know saw Guerrera. Uh, I forget the quote exactly. Now let me get the quote straight. So here they go. So they're following Ezra's vision. Now what's interesting is. They don't like start distrusting Ezra greatly after this because they assume Ezra's learned his lesson. And what's great about the character of Ezra is unlike Luke and Anakin, just like I said, he gets less whiny and more mature. He does actually learn lessons about stuff to the point where at the end of season two, he is able to handle Maul and all sorts of dark side stuff, even though we just saw in a couple episodes ago that he was totally overwhelmed by dark side stuff. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Saw Guerrero used to say, one fighter with a sharp stick and nothing left to lose can take the day. They've no idea we're coming. They've no reason to expect us. If we can make it to the ground, we'll take the next chance and the next on and on until we win or the chances are spent. That is Jin taking the legacy of Saw and leading them to victory at great cost and getting the Death Star plans in the beginning of the success of the Rebellion and A New Hope. So they're constantly opening these giant sewer holes. Um, You know, with droids, just like shooting the control pad for a door, like locks the door, you just have to assume that the better uh, astromech droids or whatever, you know, just know what they're doing with this stuff. This is the classic, ew, I don't want to go in the sewer, but it looks totally clean and not smelly. So, you know, the Mandalorian thing, it works great with Sabine's costume, family, the connection to, um, yeah, the Duchess Satine, who's a great character and love interest of Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars, Bo-Katan, uh, voiced by Katie Sackhoff, who I adore, He's a sister of Duchess Satine who comes back in season four. So the first couple episodes in season four, this is a big spoiler, is the big Mandalore confrontation, which is teased through various episodes in Rebels. Um, But because I really don't like Boba Fett, even though he stole his Mandalorian armor, so so I don't like Boba Fett, but I love the Mandalorian stuff with uh, uh, Satine and Bo-Katan and and Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars. You know, John Favreau voices one of the head bad guy traitor Mandalorian. And I love John Favreau to death as a director, writer, producer, and even as the voice of the alien uh, who is short lived but really cool and solo. They should be immediately suspicious here. This is like the Emperor sitting in his chair. He's got these robotic guards that look like Imperial guards. He's just standing here. Ezra is smiling like, how can they think he would just be standing here? Yeah, Kanan, of course, is suspicious. This is all a setup to make them think that they're after, you know. And, and the kid that informed, you know, Ezra was right. This is, Callus is marshalling troops, but it is a setup. So, there it is. I don't, I guess they had, Padawan Jabba, I guess he hasn't got, been face-to-face with these guys since the Spark of the Rebellion, uh, you know, pilot episodes, uh, when uh, Kanan reveals himself to be a Jedi, and K- 
Callus and the stormtroopers are just flabbergasted and stunned and don't know what to do. Better do as he says. Right. Now, the thing is, the senator does a horrible job of trying to, to cover his betrayal and they still go along with it. They're so desperate and that's why they need the rebellion. They're way out of their league here. They need more information, more manpower, more support. Because even if they went along with this, but they had the you know the rebellion up in the air on the ground somewhere, you know they'd be in a much better situation. You can take those chances. Um, what was I talking about before? I forget. Oh, the Mandalorians, right. So I didn't love Jon Favreau's doing voice work for the Mandalorian. That being said, if they... And also, the the Mandalore episodes at the beginning of season four are a little disappointing because it tries to be super epic, and the writing isn't great, and it just feels way less epic than Clone Wars. It's the one case. Clone Wars is superior is the giant battles, for sure. But... With John Favreau's giant budget, his love of the Mandalorian stuff, and doing post-Return of the Jedi, it would make sense that the Mandalorians would be major players, which means we're going to see Sabine. They should cast Tia Sarkar immediately, who's beautiful on a ton of great shows, has been in her own movies, romantic comedies, is by far the most up-and-coming actor. Um, I guess Matt Lanter, as the voice of Anakin on The Clone Wars, is, you know, uh, as established or more so. Here we go! The two Jedi, baby! Woo! So it's a fine line with Callus, and you know, especially in a kids show, but Star Wars in general, the bad guys need to be just powerful and competent enough to give scares and challenges to the good guys, but ultimately to lose over and over again. But because he's a little bit more of a maverick uh, in look and feel uh, than than what we've seen before, he's sort of in the Krennic category of being his own guy, has his own style. You know, he's kind of serving the Empire, kind of serving his own ego, you know, very egotistical. Um, Like, Vader's obsessed with power, but he doesn't have an ego in the traditional sense. Tarkin, too. Krennic has a giant personal ego, and so does Callus. But because of uh, David Oyelowo's great voice performance, you know, you buy it. But as soon as Thrawn comes in the picture in Season 3... He immediately puts the screws to to Callus for constantly failing. And I will give Rebels credit um, without spoiling anything in season four, because I promise not to do that till the end of the season. You know, Thrawn has a number of major victories. I mean, even if you've seen season three, you know that. C110P, that's how they got Chopper. So Chopper is kind of annoying, and then he becomes your favorite droid. He's so murderous. And then you read the Afra and Vader comics where they've got two murder bots, uh, triple, triple zero and, and B, BT, BT, uh, who eventually become so powerful and murder hungry that they turn on Afra and sh- they become her master, which is a great twist. It's sort of like if K2SO's programming was reversed and screwed up, you know, um, but Chopper's constantly threatening to not help them, betray them, you know, even like murder them when he knocks Ezra off the ship during training is very funny. And like with K2, sells the uh, resentment that droids have to being semi-enslaved or fully enslaved without hitting you over the head, like we see with um, L7 in, uh, in Solo, which I've criticized enough, so I'll stop. 
but yeah, but Chopper is definitely like I always thought Chopper influenced K two, but he's certainly the, a major, the major influence on the murder bot, the Afro murder bots in the Vader and Afro comics, which I love and won't talk about here. Maybe I'll start. Tar- I'm going to start talking about Vader comics when we see Vader because that's a series of comics I never thought I'd read volume after volume after volume, and they are great and really expand on things that are hinted constantly about Vader, but we don't fully get. Yeah, Hera's not totally shocked. There's a safety on the gun, I believe, because Hera doesn't trust him. Right, all your transmissions, the planets you visited. No one ever knew. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, I don't know what to say about this. I mean... For this, for this to be the moment when he turns after all this, for, for him to turn on them, I guess he figures if they get captured and killed in this tunnel here, nobody knows. They're not working for the rebellion. He can actually keep on going, being a secret agent of the empire. Right? Why? I joined the empire, like your parents should have. This is the the fi- finale of of the vision that that Ezra didn't see. Right, your parents were very brave and very foolish. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, here's Hera's idealism. I mean, she's Princess Leia. Let's be honest. She's Leia. Click. Uh-oh. Oopsie daisies. <laughs> Boom. Nice. Leia does. Leia punches a lot of people in the comics. It's great. I mean, look, starting with Ahsoka, but certainly with the Disney purchase, Rebels, Rey, Jin, Hera, Sabine, even Rose, there's an Afro in the comics, Leia in the comics. Disney's really trying to not only get girls involved, but make women the majority of the badasses like now in Battlestar for some reason everyone accepts it but I guess because you know old school white men grew up with Luke and Han being their people it's harder for them to accept it in Battlestar the women were the the hard ones you know and the men were sort of the emotional sensitive ones here comes Kanan's power you know I mean, when they're going for Luminara in episode four or whatever of the season, Kate is so OP. Even though he's an experienced older Jedi, you know, things like fear and, and being under pressure can make you weaker or stronger depending on your situation and where you're at. He's driven like crazy. I love this. That's a very knowing, angry look from Ezra. It's not going to change Travis. And now his cover is blown. So that's a minor victory is, is getting him out from his rat hole and blowing his cover. Here's Chopper. So I guessed, again, guys, you just have to accept my... Uh, <laughs> My predictions, which have mostly been on point. Siege of Mandalore. 
Ahsoka, the Rogue One scenario, The Last Jedi being not what people were hyped, hyping it to be, Solo being a really good movie even though people didn't see it. I predicted that I thought Filoni was the one who was Chopper's voice. Even they say Chopper as himself. And they did reveal it at the end of the final episode or like at Comic-Con or something that it was Filoni. It had to be Filoni. Filoni and a lot of the producers and directors and writers also do like Stormtrooper voices and stuff. That must be a lot of fun. But as I talk about, like Clone Wars, even more so Rebels, these guys are in the studio together as much as possible. And that's why the dialogue is so natural compared to a lot of animated show, weekly animated shows. Here's... Oh, this is We Have Hope. Right. This is what I'm using as the intro, guys. There we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rip that right now for the intro. All right, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it's a solid episode. So, and as I always talk about, especially in Star Wars, but just in general, sometimes knowing you know, where things are going actually helps you enjoy it more because then you focus on the journey there and all the character stuff. You know, like the fact that we, I mean, I've said this ad nauseum, but the fact that we know that the end of Rogue One is them getting the Death Star planned makes the whole journey and all the new characters and their personal stories that much better. And then when you get the sort of postscript of Vader murdering rebels like we've never seen before, it makes it even more glorious. So there you have it, Vision of Hope. And now I believe we are in the home stretch. Call to action is next. Oh, Tarkin's coming in. Oh, yeah, baby. Produced by uh, Simon Kimberg. Oh, yes. The X-Men guy, the Martian guy, the Daredevil guy. Simon Kimberg is the man. Um, And it's great to have Tarkin in. I forget whether... uh, I forget whether... I'll have to look... I'll look this up in the meantime. I can't remember if the voice of Tarkin... Uh, in uh, Rebels is the voice of Tarkin in the movie. I don't believe so. Um, it might be Stephen Stanton who does like the older Obi-Wan and so forth. Um, but uh, uh, let me see. It's not here. I wonder if it's Stephen Stanton. Does he do everything? God, Stephen Stanton's a fucking genius. Ben Kenobi. Yep, he does Tarkin. Oh, God, Stephen Stanton. God bless you. All right, call to action is next. We are in the home stretch because then we have Rebel Resolve. It's the 14th series. And then I, I believe that's the final one of season one, Fire Across the Galaxy. No, Fire Across the Galaxy is the 15th, the final episode. So there's like a three-episode arc here. Um, and, uh, you know, the... the, the uh, Clone Wars really uh, it excelled and succeeded with their three to four episode arcs. They were built that way. Rebels isn't necessarily built that way. And they learned that actually the two, two episode back to back arcs is the way to go. And they do a little bit of that in season three and even uh, tons of that in season four. So we will see how these last three episodes go. I hope you've been enjoying these. It's been great to be back on here. Starting to get the uh, Rebels juices flowing. And uh, for now, may the force be with you and the bizzle is out.